0: Hello. Welcome to Dying to Talk. I'm Buddy Finuff, a fourth generation funeral director in New Hampshire and the owner of Phnef Funeral Homes and Crematorium, and the founder of the Cremation Society of New Hampshire. My co-hosts today are Mandy Damaris and Madison Smith, both longtime funeral directors with our firm.
1: Hello, I'm Mandy. Thanks for joining us on Dying to Talk. Hi, I'm Madison. We're excited to discuss some frequently asked questions about the funeral industry.
0: Dying to Talk is a lighthearted and upbeat discussion of those topics no one really wants to talk about. Each episode, we will choose a subject that is related to funeral service, the cremation process, or death and dying. This episode, our topic is pagan funeral rites. I don't have a huge understanding of this topic. We've only had a few pagan funeral services at our funeral home. Our guest is Elizabeth Webster, who is a pagan funeral celebrant and an expert on pagan funerals and ceremonies. Elizabeth, we actually met her. We got her as a guest because she was actually uh, officiating a Wiccan service we had back a couple months ago. And um, I think Madison, that was one of your families. And we, we it, sure was was. Very, it was a very, it was an extremely interesting service. And you know, we took her name and information, knowing that we were doing this show. And I said, hey, we need to have her um, come in because this is certainly an area that I don't know a whole lot about. So I'm assuming our our listeners don't know a lot about either. Um, so we have a lot of really interesting questions, and um, I hope this to be as educational for us as it is to mm. for our listeners.
1: Just to put my two cents in, since I was able to spend a little bit more time talking with Elizabeth, not necessarily um, an expert in in Wiccan or uh, funerals. She really just does these beautiful, personalized services for people who are a little outside the Christian norm. She has a very interesting background as a, a Catholic missionary. She even speaks Mandarin, which is okay. very impressive. Not,
0: so, t- not, uh, not on the show today, hopefully. Not, I, yes. well, today's show brought to you entirely <laughs> in Mandarin.
1: <laughs> so, well, I mean, we'll see what she... We'll what do she, subtitles on <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) I think it's going to be an interesting show today And um, I'm really excited to hear what she has to say
0: Hi Elizabeth, welcome to Dying to Talk Thank you for having me Most of the subjects that we've we've had um, guests on We've known a little bit about Or a lot of it about Um, This is one that I really don't know a whole lot about. So why don't you, sort of setting the stage, why don't you talk, what is a pagan funeral? Let's sort of define the parameters of what we're talking about today.
2: A pagan pagan funeral or ritual of any kind is one that's simply not Christian or Jewish or Muslim technically. Um, so any funeral rite that is um, in another culture, um, in Chinese, uh, you know, the Asian cultures, um, are considered pagan. So because would do be
0: a pagan yes, funeral rite? To some would, yes, pagan.
2: absolutely, because okay. it's not Christian. Not Christian. So um, there are very well-established pagan rites that took place um yeah you know pre-christian conquering in europe and you're familiar with some of those like the viking funeral where they send the body out into the mm-hmm.
0: i've never done one but no. No. yes I've, <laughs> I've seen it on tv
2: well you should have the facility here <laughs> yeah, There is a company uh, that does currently do them so i'm sure is. that there is um so technically it's something that isn't christian
0: but you're, you're, and you being a, a pagan officiant, you're not doing probably a lot of Hindu service. What's the, sort of what form does most of your um, people that are asking you to do rites and ceremony? What, what sort of?
2: Well, uh, what I do is um, I will take the individuals involved mm-hmm. and I will uh, ask them questions about how they want to approach the rite, how what they want included, what is meaningful to them, and um, following a, kind of a standard order of service where you have the um, you know a processional, you have a welcome, you have the body of the the, the liturgy, and then um, a closing and a recessional. Those are the things that are pretty standard, mm-hmm. and um, whatever they feel is important. Is included.
0: Okay.
2: So I've done Christian things as well. Because if the people, you know, are both Christian and secular, I can include whatever they,
1: they would like. What is your personal background? How did you come into this?
2: Well, I I grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire, right here. I uh, attended Blessed Sacrament Parish. Uh, my Doesn't family... sound like
0: a pagan background to start. But... <laughs> oh,
2: well, let me say, um, and I was very involved. My family was mm-hmm. very involved. Um, and if I had been a boy, I think you might be talking to um, an ordained priest. Oh, Because hmm. I was always called to do liturgy. So I uh, was very involved. Uh, I was on the parish council and I taught CCD. I went to college in Boston. I started the National Catholic Student Coalition, the Uh New England Catholic Collegiate Association. And for me, the Catholic Church was a venue to... to perform social justice Mm -hmm. acts. It wasn't, um, it wasn't the idea and it was a community as well. Um, however, I remember being at St. Paul's in Cambridge and having an epiphany when I was a junior and it must, I, it was a beautiful mass. They have a lovely boys choir there at St. Paul's, very traditional, you know, and, um, I just, all of a sudden I, I realized everyone in the world thinks they're their faith is the most important thing. And it was one of those times where I realized, so really, none of us are right. And yet, it took me a decade to kind of discern and continue that. Um, I was also a missionary, and went to live in the Republic of China for three and a half years with my, at the time, husband, with a, uh, the Columban Fathers, which is a, um, a mission organization founded right about the same time Mary Knoll was here in the United States. And we were uh, lay missionaries and worked alongside with the priests there, very uh, open group of, of men, uh, relatively young compared to other groups, and I did liturgy all the time with them. So they allowed me to say mass and um, be very creative. And uh, when I was there, it must have, you know, that must have had something to do with the fact that I realized I I could step outside and that I didn't really need that anymore. And so um, when I returned to the United States, I stumbled across the Unitarian Church, which is um, accepting of all faiths, and found other women, especially, that had been excluded from their traditional uh, cradle cradle faiths. Um, and we were drawn to kind of gather and use our gifts around spiritual and worship uh, without someone telling us what to do. Hmm. So we kind of made up our own rules using the the basic ideas that are consistent in every in any culture if you go back far enough so if all... you
0: look at paganism I mean if you look at um, Christianity you have you know Catholics and Protestants and within Protestant you have you know Lutheran and Methodist mm-hmm. is there that sort of listing as well as being, when someone says pagan feeling you think oh it's a you know a Wiccan service or something I mean is there sort of a
2: there are some traditions okay. within paganism that, um, well, there, there's something called Wicca. Mm-hmm. I'm not really familiar with the rules. Um, within Wicca, I think you can practice Gardnerian or um, there, are, there are other traditions. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and um, some of them have been revived recently. And, um, but but I, many pagans don't connect with that. Um, they kind of are eclectic and they do what makes sense for them. The ones that I'm aware of anyway. Um, and so a lot of us are older. You know, it's not the gothic teenagers with the black <laughs> lipstick and stuff like that, although that's attractive to them because it's a little way to rebel. Mm-hmm. But I think most of the people that I know are involved because it's a very serious thing for them, and it's part of their core. And they didn't have the option in their traditional faiths to um, follow their vocation. So it's
0: very, it's very customizable, it seems seems oh, like here. Oh,
2: absolutely, right. and it's, it's nice to be able to um, personalize
0: everything. Mm-hmm.
1: So we've we've kind of talked in the realm of funerals and and how you're able to customize those services. Are you able to perform other services like baptisms sure. and marriages, things mm-hmm. like that?
2: I've done I've done uh, commitment ceremonies for gay and lesbian couples. I've done traditional marriages um, and uh, a baptism that was actually Christian, that um, the, the parents weren't practicing Catholic. so they. Wouldn't have been allowed to baptize their baby in the church, but it was very important for them to have their baby baptized. And technically, a lay person can perform a baptism in the Catholic Church. They what what they kind of left out was in an emergency.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> and so but, but I guess in, it's what
0: your definition of an emergency is. Right. So. And
2: for them that was important. Mm-hmm. So I did a very traditional um, baptism and it was beautiful.
1: Hmm. Um, so you're you're a layperson, and you're not ordained or, or anything like that?
2: Um, not, not technically. I mean, I did go through the rigmarole of going mm-hmm. onto to the, uh, the internet and getting mm-hmm. uh, an official ministerial mm-hmm. uh, certificate, only because when I did a wedding in Connecticut, there was some confusion about who could perform those. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I phoned and spoke to the clerk in the town that I was doing the wedding in, she assured me that a minister as long as they were practicing their faith mm-hmm. and ministering, mm-hmm. could do a wedding. And I minister all the time. So am I ordained? By, it's, it's some humanist thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, who, who, who's allowed to do it? Everyone has the power to do those things. So technically, yes, but I, I, I am very, um, I'm very much a minister and I happen to be good at Putting together rituals. Is there
1: any type of traditional or structured education involved in getting to where you are?
2: Not for me, um, except that I have two decades of experience doing it, and um, you know, weekly, bi weekly, monthly, and um, it's to the point where I could just show up right now and go and I could do a really nice service (laughs) like talking to someone for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's If I had chosen a particular tradition, there would be.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Um, since you're you're basically sort of a a freelance officiant,
2: freelancer. That's exactly what I am. So,
0: (laughs) what's your marketing plan? I mean, how do
2: you? (laughs) it's it's not something that I. (laughs) Is it social media?
0: How do you get the word out that you can do a you know humanistic service, a pagan service, a Christian service? I mean, we. Pretty much whatever you want. I,
2: I've never thought about marketing. I okay. have some friends that have websites, and um, a lot of people I know do this, right. of course. So uh, we often get together. When I, My mother passed away two years ago, and uh, a, a woman that is very close to me did her service, and it was outstanding. I mean, I participated preparing for it, but she's the, she was the celebrant. We have very different styles, um, but... Um, We all do it, you know, so I uh, oftentimes, um, the people that I don't, uh, gather with for spiritual, uh, worship will know that I do it and they'll contact me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'll do it that way. But I have never really marketed. uh, So it was
1: really word of mouth.
2: It's word of mouth. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I know you've done, done you've done services here for us and we didn't. Mm -hmm you know, really even know. It was the family that had brought you in that had, I think, exactly. they had experienced you doing a service for another family member and so.
1: Right, right. Just the few minutes we've been talking, Elizabeth, I, you're a wealth of, of knowledge and when I hear pagan, I didn't, I didn't know the, the definition of it. I so it, sometimes dark, um, mm-hmm. dark things come to mind. What are some of the misconceptions you want to lay to rest about paganism?
2: Well, people, there there are there are groups of pagans that actually try to lay those myths to rest, and if you go, you know, they see that as their role. I haven't really... Um, I guess I'm just older, and I don't care as much anymore. <laughs> but, but the... Um,
1: you mean you don't get offended by every I'm little not, thing? Uh, absolutely not. Oh, good, good. So
2: um, there's a myth that uh, anything that's not Christian or that is pagan is, is uh, devil worship. And in fact the devil is a concept that is Christian, that was um, created by Christians to uh, to minimize the pagan faith. So it's based on uh, the god Pan, who uh, symbolizes male energy, and he has, um, you know, he has horns and the cloven hoofs, and um, they made him bad, and put their own fella in there and um, the concept of a witch who traditionally is a woman who is a healer has been demonized into uh, an evil you know controlling woman that does bad things and casts spells and people will say you know um, can you do a spell do you do spells <laughs> my kids will say that can you me. well <laughs> I, I answer by saying do you pray right because it's the exact same thing. Mm. Um, a, a, a spell or a prayer is a desire, and you would think about something. And um, what's very different about paganism is that you always add at the end of a prayer for the good of all, mm. so that you're not doing it for your own benefit. There's, there's an emphasis in neo-paganism on um, making sure that what happens is happening for everybody um, and not just you. So, Very humanistic, yeah. right, like. right? And I'm really not sure what humanistic is. <laughs> um, like I said, I think it's more uh, it's it's the the absence of deities, mm-hmm. and um,
0: but really, not necessarily the absence of a higher power, though. Correct. Right,
2: and that's the same thing. I think as that's one paganism. of the misconceptions. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the
0: misconceptions with me is that paganism right. is, is that because I know I've 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 witnessed you know some of your ceremony, and it's not like you're not talking about you know the soul and and the oh. next. You the know, spirit, and, and spirit. I mean mm-hmm. that's—I think that's one of the misconceptions. People think it's the void well, of it's, all it's, of it. all that it's
2: stuff. very okay. The best way to describe neo pagans are to think about Native American tribes. Mm. They find um, a sacred divine in nature. They—they um, they know that the earth is sacred. They respect living things. When they hunted, they gave an offering to the animal that sacrificed itself. There's a mutual respect for their environment. And they focus on the, the year, the seasons. So in the winter time, when everything gets dark and it looks like there's death, um, really that's a necessary step for the life to come in the spring. And they keep in touch with that. They're very close to that. So the, the pagan calendar, which the um, Christians took over, the simple um, concept of Christmas and the birth of the sun coming back, the birth of, you know, God's sun, is really the birth of the sun, S-U-N, because it's held on the winter solstice, which is when the sun started to get to grow uh, stronger. And so you'll look back, and every culture Mm -hmm. celebrates the solstices because it was essential for the sun to come back, for them to survive. So those kind of... um, Earth-based concepts that are very often associated with Native American tribes is very similar to what a lot of neo pagans uh,
0: practice. Now, is there a certain ceremonial dress? I know we you know we have a Catholic service; the priest dressed up, you know, in the appropriate um, you know outfit for the Catholic funeral rite, Same thing with the Protestant. We have the benefit of of actually serving the the Bhutanese community, mm-hmm. so we have a lot of Hindu priests that are coming in mm-hmm. there. Um, same thing; we have imams that are coming in to do a um, um, services for so when you're doing a pig is, is there are there certain outfits and that's not the right word but certain things you that's would like a wear. Traditional or, garb, garb. Yeah. I like
2: I like to wear something glittery and sparkly. Glittery and sparkly. <laughs> no, okay, it, d- it depends on the whole flavor of it. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the women that I uh, gather with lost a, a very close uncle, and um, I'm not sure what what they it was. It was in Connecticut, but they asked everyone to wear beach clothes. To the service, because that's exactly what he would have loved. Mm -hmm. So the celebrant there would dress accordingly, Mm -hmm. and if it was um, a larger, very solemn uh, occasion, it would be one thing. The one that I did here just recently was a little bit lighter. It wasn't... um, it, you know, it was somewhat traditional. I, I read some things from when I was Catholic that, had, that meant a lot to me, because I knew that the audience was both secular and, well actually most people I'm sure were Christian, so I wanted to make sure they were comfortable. And then this, the service that we did where we uh, used a cord to represent the departed and all the different aspects of his life was completely secular. You know It wasn't Christian or pagan or anything, mm-hmm. it was him. About him, and people left with something to remember the service by. His um, wife had chosen uh, a hand and an eye, and so we use that in that service.
0: So um, I'm still slightly confused because one of the things I want to clear up, at least in my mind, is that we have um, um, you know we have families that call us and say we want something that's not traditional. We don't want to mm-hmm. go to church. No, we don't want a minister. We don't want a priest to come in. Um, so we have um, several. Um, on staff, several funeral celebrants mm-hmm. that will come in and meet with the family. Um, so even though that's necessary a religious service, there's some spiritual base.
2: Absolutely. So
0: how is what you're doing similar? to I mean, in terms well, of pay, is there always like a, is there? A, I guess to some extent, when we have the celebrant, there is there is some sort of Christianic base that they. Sort of used to form their ceremony around. Mm-hmm. So in your case, even though you're customizing it, it's sort of a a pagan base that you sort of used, it, or not necessarily? It would be
2: whatever the people okay. wanted, and I would consider myself one of those people, actually, a, a celebrant, right. um, because you're really celebrating the person's life, and in every culture, there's a need to recognize the passing of an individual, to remember them and honor them, and for some people, a traditional rite is very important for them to follow, and it brings comfort to those that are left.
0: Because a lot of it is, is definitional. If I asked you know, one of our celebrants, could you do a pagan service they would say i don't think i know what that is i don't Mm -hmm. think i could but if i asked him to do a a non-religious secular secular service they would say oh yeah no problem at all Mm exactly
2: and it depends on again who in that service that i did with um that gentleman uh his his uh, wife read something that was pagan, but then I read something that was Christian. Mm-hmm. And so a it was a blend, yeah. absolutely, because that person was a blend. And he had children, and he had you know uh, relatives that didn't practice paganism. He did, but he was in the military, so there were a lot of fellas there from the military. So we made it about the individual, and yet I wanted the, um, the widow to have uh, something that was support to her as well.
1: Of of all of the guests we've had, I think I feel like the most comfortable asking you this question. Um, in the in the pagan community as a whole, is there a, sp- a certain belief of what happens to the soul after death?
2: I don't think so. I don't no. think you can answer that. There may be people that that think they know, and um, there's um, in some traditions there was a place called Summerland that was um, what we would say is heaven, mm-hmm. um, but that's that's in every single culture almost. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the Chinese people believe that, th- I don't know what they call it or how they say it in Chinese because it's a very different language than English. But the reason that Chinese families want sons is because when you die, the son's family is who sends you the stuff you need in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they don't want girls. It's that they need that person to send them stuff. So wherever, and they, they, they burn money, they burn cars, they burn clothing on paper. And that is, and, and the smoke carries it to them. Mm-hmm. So wherever they are, the afterlife is, I think, common in almost every faith mm-hmm. that, that there is. Of heaven. Yes. Mm-hmm. Except I believe the Jewish people don't believe in a heaven. Oh, I, They do. I th- I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, and I'm not yes. sure cause yeah. I am not, I'm not a, uh, an expert. I thought they kind of thought about it. Nope, being they're the here. chosen
0: people. Moses 10 commandments. So yeah. So Absolutely.
2: they go there too.
0: They go there too. <laughs> yep. There you go.
2: Well, okay. and I'll be honest with you. No one really knows. It's true. So I wouldn't presume to say one way or the other. And again, I'm old, so I kind of don't
0: care.
1: <laughs> That's really fascinating, Elizabeth.
0: Thank you for joining us on another informative episode of Dying to Talk. I definitely learned a lot. If our listeners have any questions about funerals or cremations, either in New Hampshire or Vermont, I'm happy to answer them. Just email me at buddy at finef.net. that's buddy at p-h-a-n-e-u-f.net, or call me on my direct line at 603-625-5778. Our contact information is in the show notes of this episode, too.